Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service, reviews, and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. Uh, the real purpose of our time together today, the purpose uh, of this sermon, is to reorient uh, our hearts uh, as marrieds and as singles around what the Word of God has to say about singleness. Now, let me, let me say right out of the gate that I needed a lot of help to write this sermon. And, and here's uh, what I mean by needed a lot of help. Uh, Lauren and I were married uh, the summer after her freshman year in college, the summer after my junior year in college. And so uh, when it comes to the single life, I, I simply did not live it, right? Unless you want to count uh, my first three years in college as the single life. So, so I know nothing of graduating, getting a job, and then living out the single life. Like, like nothing. I know nothing experientially uh, about that. And so, man, I, I've got a lot of people uh, that I leaned into uh, to write this. And so um, Pete Scazzaro, Gina Delfonza, Preston Sprinkle, Sam Albury, Joy Beth Smith are some of the authors, although Wesley Hill was a Another. Uh, and then I had a lot of generous and insightful dialogue uh, with many of our singles. Some uh, that are singles and hoping to be married. Others are divorced. Others are single mothers and single fathers. Uh, I just tried to, as best I can, let the Word of God bear its weight. Uh, and then I needed to kind of get to the bottom of some ideas around singleness, uh, unique struggles, unique opportunities. And so it's been, um, it's been uh, very fruitful. And at times, if I'm honest, very painful for me uh, to prepare um, to preach this. And, and let me explain what I mean by um, painful. Um, one of the great joys of my life is to shepherd and, and walk alongside of you as brothers and sisters in this place. Uh, I am uh, committed to my uh, personal relationship with Christ and then my wife and children and then to this congregation. And that's the order uh, of my priorities and the order of my affections. And, and what struck me as I was preparing this is how often, especially if you are a single man or single woman, how often you must feel um, uh, ostracized or out of the story here in our church that's so family-centric. And so if you're an encouraged single, you're, you're a single who's kind of wrestled through where you are in life, then I, I, I was thinking how often you have to do this kind of mental gymnastics when I think 90% of my illustrations have to do with either my children or my marriage or some aspect of family life. Uh, and then if you're a discouraged single, I, I just uh, I have to believe that every time those illustrations are used, uh, you feel more isolated and more out of step, more discouraged uh, in your relationship with the Lord. And so, man, by th this sermon in some way is me repenting of that and wanting to say, I want to get better at that, encouraging you and helping you to live out of your singleness and not always having to do those mental gymnastics. So with that said, let me overgeneralize. Uh, it seems that in general, and, and so it seems that in general, singles are viewed by themselves as well as others as lacking something. 
The longer the singleness remains, the more both singles and Mary viewed the situation through the lenses of loss. And so this is a common story that that I have heard both in reading and in conversation with our singles here, that that what happens is in in your younger single days, as your friends start to get married, your married friends then try to uh, hook you up with their other single friends in the hope that you would find your spouse. And then what happens is as singleness persists, married start to think that something might be wrong with you, and singles begin to feel as though God has robbed them of something, or God has forgotten them by not bestowing upon them this blessing of a partner and a life partner in in the covenant of marriage for life. And and, and what I want to just start with right out of the gate is that both the married couple that would view singleness as an oddity and the single man or woman that would view uh, God having forgotten them or robbed them of a joy by not giving them a spouse are way out of line with how the Word of God talks about singleness and, and how Jesus himself and other biblical authors rejoiced in singleness. And so here's what I want to do. I want to start by just talking about types of Christian singles. I don't plan on addressing, uh, if you're not a Christian and you're a single, I I don't know really how to kind of navigate you through uh, this talk. So what I want to address, if you're a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to kind of unpack how Jesus saw singleness and specifically that that he thought that there were three types of singles. Uh, And then from there, I want to talk about singleness as a gift because I think uh, that that idea, the gift of singleness is often kind of the butt of jokes and and not really understood understood in its biblical framework. Then I want to talk about the advantages of being single. And then from there, I want to talk about some of the unique struggles. And then I just want to encourage singles in a certain way. And I want to encourage marrieds in a certain way. And then we'll recenter ourselves around the fact that Jesus was single and full of life and joy and purpose. And so there's my outline. And so let's start with this types of of Christian singles. And so Matthew 19, 12, you're you're still there in 1 Corinthians um, 7, so I'm going to put this on the screen for us. In Matthew 19, 12, here's what Jesus teaches. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Uh, And so Jesus here lays out kind of three ways of being celibate. And so uh, I'm going to use these three ways as three categories of Christian singleness. So uh, let's do this. Uh, In in his first sentence, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And so I'll call this celibates from birth. And and what I have in mind here, and I think uh, what is in view here, is those who from birth will not pursue a sexual relationship with another, either because of a defect or uh, maybe even they are asexual or maybe even, and if you'll indulge me here, they struggle with same-sex attraction and therefore will be celebrate by birth. Now, what I'm not trying to concede is that there is any, when all said and done, evidence to support that we are born that way. Uh, although, as Christians, even if science were to somehow prove one day that you are born that way, uh, you can be born with all sorts of bents towards what is sinful and not be allowed to indulge in those bents. And so when we look at this first one, what we're looking at is those who are celibate by 
birth. And now what happens when you start talking about being celebrate by birth and living a life of chosen celibacy? What, what ends up happening is that, that um, the, a lot of people will dogpile on that idea and they paint this dreary, weary picture of kind of going home to an apartment all by yourself and the, you know, it's dim and you're cooking yourself a, a, you know, like a microwavable dinner. And it's this kind of drab and weary life. And, and yet uh, quite a few um, Christian celibates who struggle with same-sex attraction paint this completely different picture of what they've experienced in trusting that the Word of God is true, laying down that same-sex attraction and devoting themselves to a life of celibacy. Let me give you a couple of quotes here. This first one is from a man named Don Matson, and, and here's this quote. My life isn't a life of misery, and I'm not doomed to celibacy or a life of heartbreaking loneliness. I reject the representation of a life striving for celibacy as miserable. And part of my mission in life is to debunk all of the dreary, droopy tropes out there of what celibacy is all about. I want to kind of incorporate tropes uh, into my vernacular. I just need to read more about how it's used. And then uh, here, here's my favorite. Like Ron sounds like a guy I would want to hang out with. This is a quote from Ron Belgu, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Is celibacy difficult? Yes. So is marriage. So is grad school. Life is pain, princess movie trivia. What's that from? Princess Bride. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe you shouted out on video. I didn't hear. All right. Is it frustrating at times? Yes. But watch someone raising toddlers sometimes, and it may change your perspective on the challenges of celibacy. Have there been times I wanted to give up? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. And do I regret it? No. So the first category of single would be this um, celebrates from birth. And then the second, I think, is by and large the largest group of singles. And this would be dedicated celibates. The reason I'm using the word celebrates here uh, for Christian singles is that the Christian is dedicated to sex within the confines of marriage. And so regardless of what type of single you are, you have given yourself over to the lordship of Jesus Christ and said that sex belongs inside the confines of marriage. And so I am dedicated in my celibacy, whether that's celibate from birth, whether that is a just a dedicated celibate. And, and I think in this category is what we most often think of when we think about singles. Uh, and so these are divorcees, these are widowed, and these are those who I would just call waiting, right? They're just, they, they're hopeful that they'll have a spouse one day. They look forward to being married. They're just in this space right now that they are waiting. And then the last type of celibate or single is not just from birth, not just dedicated, but then Jesus adds this kind of really radical category that the Jews would have had a very difficult time processing in the first century of vowed celebrates, those who, who simply renounce marriage because of the kingdom of God. They, they get uh, a sense from the spirit of God that they want to give their life over to the kingdom of God and don't want to be distracted with marriage. And so they literally give themselves over to Jesus. So in the Protestant imagination, this is difficult for us, but think more about priests and nuns and those who say, I'm going to just devote my whole life to the service of Jesus and, and I'm going to lay aside marriage, any desire I have in that way to give myself fully to the kingdom of God. Now, now here's what, what I want to do now that we have those categories. Regardless of what type or which type of single you are, the Bible is clear that singleness is a gift 
from God. That, that's how the Bible talks about singleness. Not like it's some sort of second-class status, but rather that it is a gift. And so let me show you that in 1 Corinthians 7, 6-7. through 7. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. He's talking about being single. But each has his own gift from God, one of the one kind and one of another. Now, when Paul speaks of singleness and specifically the gift of singleness, he's not saying that there are this select few people who have been given kind of the spiritual gift of contentedness in singleness. That's not what's being taught here, but rather he is teaching that where you are in the circumstances of your life is God's gift to you. So if you're married, then, then you've been given the gift of marriage. And if you are single, you've been given the gift of singleness, that God is being gracious to you and giving you gifts in your life's circumstances. Now, I, I want to add this caveat specifically for those who are widowers. It is not the loss of your spouse that is the gift. That is heartbreaking. It is the singleness that is your gift. Divorcees, it was not the heartbreak of the divorce that is the gift that the Bible is speaking of and that I am talking about, but rather the gift now of singleness itself. I love this quote by Paige Benton Brown. Listen to this. I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband or too spiritually mature to need one. I am single because God is good and this is his best for me. Isn't that an amazing quote? I'm just going to read it again. You can't stop me. I'm on video. Uh, I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband or too spiritually mature to need one. I am single because God is good and this is his best for me. Isn't that good? That's amazing. Now, um, singleness is your gift, single. Marriage is your gift, married. This is what God has given you in this life stage for your good because he is good. And now I want us to look at what the Bible calls the advantages of singleness. So let's look at this together. 1 Corinthians 7, you should be here. Let's look now in verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Isn't that crazy? Like Paul is like, hey, marriage is going to have a lot of troubles. And I, singles, I would just spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is Paul's way of trying to orient the heart and mind around eternity and not just the cares of the present. He's saying, listen, there is a future that we are closer to now than we have ever been, and you need to orient your soul around that future, the return of Christ, the ushering in of the kingdom 
kingdom without bounds. The, the experience of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Like Paul is drawing their hearts out of their present circumstances and their eyes off of themselves and saying, okay, hey, look up here. Live in such a way as to show that you understand that there's a greater reality and there's a greater purpose for your life than your business, than your marriage, than, than any other part of your experience in life. There's a greater reality. Let's live for that greater reality. And now look at what he says, starting in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided direction or devotion to the Lord. So when, when the Bible talks about the advantages of singleness, it's going to lay um, two uh, right on top of our lives. Here's, here's the first thing he says in this text, that he wants to spare singles the troubles of marriage. Right? He wants to save singles. So one of the advantages of being single is you don't have the troubles of marriage. And then he goes on to kind of define what those troubles are as married people. He, he says clearly that we have a divided mind and heart and that we're anxious about a great deal of things. He's saying that we have a, a shrinking focus about our lives, that, that I have as a married man, a, a wife that I need to tend to and, and a marriage to, to cultivate and to at times be anxious about how are we doing? How am I doing as a husband that I've got children that I'm anxious about? How are they doing? Uh, how am I cultivating them as their father that I carry the these anxieties as a married man, as a husband, as a father, that if you're a married woman, you carry these anxieties. This is according to the text. Paul says, I want to save you singles from the anxieties of being married, that, that I want your focus to be broad and not narrow because the married man or woman, their focus has to be narrow because they're married. This demonstrates to the world, according to Ephesians chapter 5, written through the Apostle Paul, who wrote these same words. And we talked about this last week. I get this from Peter Scarzero, that the picture of marriage is one of the depth of God's love. I'm covenanted to you. My attention is on you. You're my person, and, and you come first, and, and then everything else comes second. So what you have in married life is shrinking focus, to a particular set of people, first and foremost, that divides the heart and divides the mind. And, and he's listing this divided mind and divided heart chiefly because they bear weight on the next point. He, he says that in your singleness, the advantage you have is the opposite. You have an undivided mind and an undivided heart. So we, we said this again a, a couple of weeks ago. You have a breadth of focus that's greater than the narrow focus of the married man or married woman. And, and so uh, I, I want to talk about it this way. I, I don't, I, I've learned, and, and this is one of those things I learned, I was like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. Um, single men and women don't necessarily have more time and more money. In fact, in a very real way, they probably have less. 
So if you think about what it takes for a single man or single woman to cultivate deep, rich relationships, most often that doesn't occur when they come home from work at 7.30 at night and sit in their house and begin to have these conversations, but rather it takes more effort to cultivate. There is a breadth of relationships they have, a breadth of places that they are sowing in their gifts, a breadth of places that their monies are going. So most often singles actually have less time and less money, not more time and more money. And this is the great advantage of singleness. They are undivided in mind and heart. They are freed up to serve the Lord and to devote their lives more fully to the Lord because they are not divided in their affection because of a spouse or children. And according to the Bible, the anxieties that that brings, the anxieties that that brings. Now, um, what then are the struggles of singleness? And so uh, I had to have a lot of conversations about the struggles of singleness because I don't think the struggles of singleness are unique to singles, but I think the way that they navigate um, or have to navigate those struggles are unique to being single. So they're not unique to them, but the way they have to navigate through them is unique. I think I'm saying that uh, in a way that is fair. Um, Let me start with this one, sexual temptation, sexual temptation. There is a pervasive lie that is so prevalent and so powerful in 2017. You can't blame anyone for buying the lie. And here is the lie. The lie is that sexual expression and sexual experience are necessary for human flourishing. So I want to say that again. The pervasive, persistent lie that we're drinking in with every commercial and every ad and every is that in order to be fully alive, there must be sexual expression and sexual experience. Well, Preston Sprinkle says this, the whole idea that sexual expression is essential to human flourishing comes from Freud, not from the Christian worldview. Right? That this is, this is, again, a very modern idea that what I need to be most fully alive is great sexual expression and great sexual experience. Right? This is handcuffing and paralyzing and wreaking havoc, not just among marrieds, but among singles as they try to navigate spaces now where the prevailing norms are sexual expression and sexual experience fast without a lot, of, a lot of connectivity and, and a lot of kind of um, uh, anonymous kind of going abouts and doings. This is the air that they're breathing. I, I think you can see this all the time. Like I think um, probably the place that I was like, wow, things have really gone crazy is the Hardee's commercials. I, I mean, you couldn't hardly watch football this past year without um, some half-naked woman eating a hamburger. And I'm like trying to watch a game with my son and I'm thinking, like, what does this naked woman have to do with this giant hamburger? But, but you know what? It sells. It captivates attention. It draws us to it. it. It's so pervasive that just watching a game with your son or daughter, you've got these graphic images that would have been considered nearly hardcore pornography 20 years ago. And now they're, they're on it two after two on the afternoon on, on a station that you could get with just kind of the, the bunny ears, no cable having kind of set up in your living room. And so singles have to navigate this space in an over-sexualized culture where they are dedicated celibates, giving themselves over to showing that Christ is sufficient, giving themselves over to showing that they are dedicated mostly, if not fully, in an undivided way to the Lord. And the temptations they're going to experience and the pull 
that they're going to experience when everything they're drinking in from the world around them is that if you're ever gonna feel fully alive, you need expression and experience sexually. And if you don't have those two, you'll never be fully alive. Alive. Well, this is, like I said, a pervasive and persistent lie. They're drinking it, so they're gonna struggle with this, right? The marriage per married people are going to struggle with sexual temptation, but they also know the limits that, that sexual experimentation can, can bring. So you, you have sex, and, and, and you know that it, it does very little to kind of quench sexual appetite, right? It, it doesn't solve anything. In fact, I, I, I heard someone say that the ache for sexual fulfillment is itself the gift, that the longing to be satisfied points to something beyond the satisfaction that you feel in the act of sexual intercourse. That the angst, the longing itself points to something that, that is to come in the return of Christ and the consummation of all things. And then uh, I, I think that singles will struggle with loneliness in a very different way than married people struggle with loneliness. I, I just like to kind of lay down that everybody in a certain season or a certain time in their life is going to struggle with loneliness. What happens is the single will, will think that that loneliness might just get filled by a spouse, but the married person is not under that illusion. They, they know that the spouse has not solved that loneliness. And so then they, the, the temptation they'll have to fight is to go, not go into this world of fantasy that maybe they married the wrong one and maybe somebody else out there will satisfy that loneliness. So this is unique for the single in that they're always going, ah, what if? What if there is this person out there that is the one and can satisfy all these longings of my heart? And I would say the same thing here as I said on sexual temptation. That when all said and done, the longing to, to not feel alone, the longing, it's actually pointing to something beyond itself and greater than itself. That this relationship with our Savior, a soul that finds its home in the rest of Christ's grace and mercy. A, 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 a hole that, that gets filled through progressive sanctification, but only ultimately filled at the return of Christ once and for all. Now, I'm sure there are more, but those are the two I wanted to highlight. Now, here's how I kind of want to end our time together. Now, I want to speak directly to you singles, and then I want to speak directly to you marrieds. Here's, here's what I want to say. If you're a single man or woman at the Village Church, here's my encouragement to you. I, I want to try to... Um, call you out of any holding pattern that you might be in. So if you're a single here and you're like, man, I can't wait. I've got this real desire to do this ministry, to start this ministry, to do this kind of discipleship, to begin to lead out of my passions, but I've got to wait until I find my spouse before I can give myself over to that. Listen, I, I want to call you out. You start to lead us. Right? God's put a passion in your soul, a passion in your heart. You're eager to make disciples. You're eager to start up ministries. You're eager to lead out here. I want to call you to lead out here. You need not a spouse to be a leader. If that's the case, we got to take out a whole slew of ferocious men and women of God in our Bible. God is not waiting for you to get a spouse to lead in a profound way and at a high level. That is a lie from the enemy. I'm calling you out of it and asking you to reject that lie. You are not waiting for a spouse to lead. And so I'm calling you out. You, you lead. You've got a passion. You step into that. You've got a desire to start something up. You begin to go through that process and let's go. You, you lead. We, we'll follow. 
The, the second thing, if you're a single, I want to just encourage you to practice healthy self-care. When, when I say self-care, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you to get a gym membership and kind of get a rocking body. That's not what I'm talking about here, all right? Um, what I am saying, though, um, is that, that you are going to, as a human being, you're going to run into very difficult seasons. And I don't want you to buy into the temptation to pretend that you've got it all together and that you don't need help. I want you to be willing to receive help and, and eager to ask for it. So we talk all the time here about the veneer, where the married and single can both wear the veneer. Uh, I, I think both project a strength that maybe is a faux strength. And so I want to invite you to really take good care of yourself, to take good care of your spirit, to take good care of your soul, and to practice really healthy self-care. And then lastly, um, and again, I had a lot of help on this one. I needed to ask a lot of questions, and so I don't want to give any shout-outs, but many are um, even in this room this weekend. I, I think as a single, you, you need to learn, and I'm even going to read this, you need to learn emotionally healthy skills to bond with others. Emotionally healthy skills to bond with others. Um, I have been informed both in book and in conversation um, that, that deep relationships between singles, although can be very life-giving, they can also grow very broken and become codependent. They also can begin uh, to kind of drift towards maybe a, a sexual weird relationship. Uh, and so what I want to encourage you towards is to develop emotionally healthy skills um, to grow in your relationship. And part of that, um, part of that is um, you, you need to not just have your person, but you need to have people in different seasons. You need to not just hang with a group of singles, but, but you need to be around people of all different life stages and, and all different kind of seasons of life that can encourage you and speak into you and walk alongside of you. And now to our marrieds. I think you make up about 80%, uh, 75, 80% of our congregation. Let me, let me say this to you. In light of the word of God, we must not think of singles as second class, uh, a second class of Christians. They're not second best. They're not weird. They're not, they are a gift from God to the church. We need them. They need us. And, and so let's not view singles as a second class, uh, but begin to see and rejoice in the good gift that they are to the body of Christ and the picture they represent about the breadth of God's love to the world. And then lastly, I, I want you to remember that your family is the whole church. Your family is the whole church. And, and this is one of the things that's gonna become evident in the scriptures when, when Jesus himself says, who are my brothers and sisters and who is my mother? Is it not those who belong to my father? He's really reorienting the soul of the family unit around the church. The church is your whole family. And so I would encourage us to, to strive towards this. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm being uh, overly romantic here, um, but there should be no lonely people at the village church. As best we can, we need to open up homes, open up lives, learn from one another, lean into the highs and lows of each other's lives, married men and women with children and singles, and, and there's got to be these rhythms that are established. And that's why we, we've been so serious over all these years about multi-gen home groups. 
that, that we know connecting with people your own age is important to a lot of you. But, but man, I, I can tell you what's probably more important is for you to get around people who aren't what you are in the hopes that you can connect and learn with one another. And I know that's harder and slower and, and makes you feel at times disoriented, but giving yourself to that end will make, it will pay a dividend that will blow your mind if you're faithful to stick with it and, and keep fighting for it. And so marrieds, I want to encourage you to include into your worlds, into your lives, into your homes, those who are single. And singles, you have much to teach us about breadth, much to teach us about friendships, much to teach us about families. And so I want us to all the more value one another and rejoice in the gift according to the Bible that God has given each of us to the marrieds, marriage, and to the singles, singles. If I could orient our heart around one last thought before I pray. Now, I'll quote Preston Yancey again. The good news about a single Savior who provides abundant life for all who die with him. Jesus didn't view his celibacy as a no. No to joy, no to sex, no to intimacy. But rather, he viewed it as a life-giving yes. Yes to relationships. Yes to friends. Yes to serving others. And yes to enjoying life to the fullness, singles. You have not been forgotten. You, you, you have not been punished. You have been given a gift from God to live out of your yes. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time together. I do pray for our singles. I, I just pray, um, God, that this would um, somehow orient or remind or um, God would call up their hearts to rejoice in this season, the good gift that you've given them. And I, I pray for our marrieds in this room. Uh, I, I pray that you would give uh, us a real heart for one another, that we'd be able to celebrate the picture that we're both bringing to the community of faith. I pray in a very real way, some relational connective tissues uh, among singles and marrieds. I pray for our single moms and single dads who don't feel fully single and don't feel fully uh, like a parent. They're, they're kind of stuck in this world in between. Just pray that you would minister to them as they live out faithfully both of these positions, both of these gifts. And I ask, Spirit of God, that you would continue to make us more and more and more a household of faith that communicates to the world the beauty of Jesus' gospel. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.